This is Speaking of the Arts, Mid-Missouri's only in-depth weekly art show, recorded in the heart of the Midwest, Columbia, Missouri, and broadcast each Thursday evening from 7 till 8 on 89.5 FM, KOPN Columbia. My name is Diana Moxon. love looking back over the year in the arts and so we are going to do that on this week and next week's show. This week is all about theatre and I am so delighted that I wrangled into the tinsel-strewn Speaking of the Arts holiday studio two of the most knowledgeable people about the local theatre scene. Monica Palmer, and David McSpadden. Say, you know, come on in, Monica Palmer and David McSpadden. I'm very glad that you could both come over to the, as you'll notice, very festively decorated Speaking of the Arts bunker. <laughs> and I have pulled some chairs up to the fire for you. And, and here in the bunker, it's hermetically sealed, so there is no COVID in here. So, David, you can oh. go ahead and pull your chair a little bit a little bit closer. Come, come on over a little okay, bit. Okay, we'll, we'll do. And, and Monica, no, no, darling, not that close. You're on my slippers. Just back, back up a little bit. But I love you. <laughs> so here we all are, cosily snuggled around this Speaking of the Arts fire. And um, I do actually have some, I made some hot chocolate with rum spice in it. So I've got a couple of cups of rum spiced peppermint. Well, maybe not peppermint. You have a little peppermint stick in it, you know, that you can swirl in your rum spiced oh, yeah. hot chocolate. Well, bring it on, yeah. Okay. All right, so if we're all, are we all cosy? Are we all snuggled up? Okay, okay, here we go. So, I think we should start by saying it's been a bit of a strange on again, off again, not off again, on again year. And we did start with mostly online performances this year, but then as the vaccines rolled out, we were all busting to get back to in real life events and some of the theatres did start to tentatively open up with mask mandates and spacing us all out so that we could socially distance as we laughed giddily during our mum laughs as Monica and I did at one show (laughs) at almost everything because we were so excited to be back in a theatre seat. Definitely. (laughs) Though I will say there was an incident at one unnamed local theatre where there was no seat spacing and Monica and I were at the Mm. show and the person sitting next to me, bless him, was really expanding onto my seat, like in an airplane. Mm-mm. And it was just making me hold my breath and lean more and more and more towards Monica, who did a great job of reading my body language, as by now I was pretty much in her seat as well. And so she yanked me as I was whimpering. Go ahead and admit it. You were sitting in Monica's lap. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> We relocated and we enjoyed the show. We did, but I didn't get to sit in her lap in the new seat, so that was a bit of a disappointment. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, that's what friends are for. So so we've that's been right. to a few things, but I, I wondered if you, David, had had any COVIDly awkward theatre moments this year, because not only have you been attending performances, but you have actually been in at least one as well. Yeah. You know, nothing that was uh, really awkward, although... When I auditioned for Arsenic and Old Lace, we all had to wear masks during auditions. So that was different. (laughs) Um, I mean, you felt like you had to kind of do a lot more to get across what you were trying to do during auditions and not just 
you know, not being able to rely on facial expression as much. So, I mean, and, and I understood why they did the auditions like that, considering the number of people that were there. But it, it was strange and it was definitely a different experience. Did you work extra hard on like your eyebrow makeup so you could really have expressive <laughs> eyebrows and eyes? Yes. I, actually, I used, I had very expressive eyes and I had very expressive body language. <laughs> I figured if they couldn't see my face, well, they could at least see my body and go well that kind of looks like what we're going for so. there should be an award for like the best best audition wearing a mask <laughs> i don't know if we're the right people to decide on that but i think that would be a good one for the future i would say eyebrow acting is becoming a thing like eyebrow acting is a skill now that actors are putting in their actors toolbox so yeah, <laughs> yeah. have you improved your eyebrow acting this year monica Oh, definitely. Yeah. Because I'm, you know, I'm performing every day because I'm teaching middle school theater now. And so, you know, every every class is a performance. And so you can tell your kids a lot about how you're feeling personally with your eyebrows, I've found. <laughs> so they know they know when I'm happy and when I'm sad. And yeah, all that good stuff. Yeah. I know, Monica, you have such a strong love of theater and a need for theater that you would probably sit next to somebody with the plague, with the active plague, if it was a show <laughs> you wanted to see. And that was the only scene left in the house. Have you felt comfortable all year going to theater? Yes and no. I mean, there are some places that I've felt more comfortable than not. I've loved going back into the the, the major cities. Kansas City and St. Louis um, have opened up like at the Fox and the Midland Theater in Kansas City. And both of those places, you have to show your vaccination card. So you're, you know, you feel a little bit safer because you know that everybody who's sitting in there with you is fully vaccinated. So that's kind of a nice Thing. But then again, you're also sitting in there with thousands of people mm -hmm. rather than just a hundred of your friends in Columbia, you know, at Columbia Entertainment Company, for example. So there is that kind of weird feeling of safety, but also you're at greater risk of, you know, like you said, I, I would probably <laughs> sit next to someone with the plague if, if it was a show I wanted to see because that's how much. I mean, I went into the lion's den of middle school education just so I could be getting my daily theater fix because I only saw 27 shows this year. And, you know, for me, that's pretty light on. Uh, yeah, that was going to be my next question. How many shows have you seen this year? Now, is that 27, including the performances you're doing at school or those are where you've been sitting in a seat? No, no, I didn't count those. These were, I was sitting in a seat at a theater, but that is including high school theater, um, middle school theater, not my productions, but um, Smithton production. I, I just went over to Smithton to see Moana Jr., which was so cute. But also Greenhouse CEC, Maplewood Barn, Talking Horse, Scene One in Jefferson City, Capital City Productions, and Stevens, and MU, and State Fair Community College. I had to drive all the way to Sedalia because they did Murder Ballad, and I had to see that. And then, you know, Lyceum and Maples Rep, Fox Theater, Springfield Little Theater. Oh, my gosh. Do you guys know about Springfield Little Theater? No. No, but tell us. <gasps> so good. Springfield, Missouri has this amazing theater. First of all, I've, I've just become obsessed with theaters like the physical structures, especially um, designed by the Bowler Brothers, who designed our beautiful Missouri theater here in Columbia and several other theaters as well. But so that's how I stumbled onto the Springfield Little Theater. But they rehabbed this Bowler Brothers theater in Springfield, Missouri, and it's all owned by the community theater. And they are doing some amazing work. They have a school there. Uh, we saw Matilda there, and uh, then I saw Kinky Boots there, too. And, I mean, this is 
it's, you know, regional theater type work that you're seeing there, but it's kids, it's people have graduated and gone on to New York and then come back. The, the gentleman that played Lola in Kinky Boots is a professional actor who, as a favor, came back to Springfield and played this part, which just, oh, he was amazing. He was amazing. <laughs> I feel a road trip in our future. Yeah, we, we're definitely going to, ha- I'm going to have to take you there. Yeah, <laughs> it's so, so good. David, how many shows do you think you've seen this year? As Monica was uh, talking about hers, I was totaling them up and I did not see nearly as many as Monica, but to be honest, who has? <laughs> uh, and most of mine were, most of mine were here in Columbia. And um, if you include things like the Starting Gate Play Festival and Shakes at the Lake that Greenhouse Theater did, it comes out to about 12. There's about 12 things that I saw. We're probably about the same then. I think I'm about 12 or thereabouts that I've seen this year. So we probably went to a similar number. So as we're sitting here with our hot spiced rum, feeling happy about you know another year, <laughs> we've survived another year, and we're casting a fond and sometimes moistened eye back over the year, remembering <laughs> the highlights. I think we should call the awards the Speaking of the Arties, but I like the tone is mm, only a lot less like glamorous that. and without any actual awards. <laughs> I love it. So I hope you have both had a chance. I know David has to look back through your theatre stubs and your programme collections. And and I do feel I, I hesitate to give out speaking of the Arties Awards to just one person in each category, as we are talking about community theatre for the most part. And as we all know, everyone gets an award for overcoming their stage fears and turning up. But with that said, there are some people who deserve to get an extra round of applause for a job amazingly well done. So if we're sitting comfortably, Monica, you look like you're a bit twisted up in your blanket there. Are you are you comfortable? Sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. No. David, yeah, you, do you need a refill before we start? I'm, I'm you know, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Give him a double. <laughs> I, I will. I will. An extra shot. OK, so shall we start with best musical? I looked through the the um, everybody's website. So I think we have Hedwig and the Angry Inch mm-hmm. at Columbia Entertainment Company. We have three musicals that were at Stevens College, Almost Maine, The World Goes Round, and A Small Town Christmas. Oh, we also have The Winter Wanderettes at CEC. We have Rent and Madagascar at MU Theatre. And we have, of course, Plan 9, the musical from Outer Space at Maplewood Barn. Am I missing any musicals? Not missing any, but Almost Maine isn't a musical. Didn't they sing? No. No. Just little vignettes. You're right. They weren't singing. Okay, cross that one off. <laughs> That's all right. You were distracted by the guy that was like leaning into you. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give you a pass for that. Well, now we know. Okay. <laughs> Gosh. So, uh, David, where are you going with best musical n- nominations for you? I'm telling you, I was so impressed with CEC's production of Hedvig and the Angry Inch. Mm. That was Caleb Alexander's first time directing a show at CEC. And, you know, he admitted that he had never done a show like that before, but he could put together a rock show. (laughs) So this was like the perfect opportunity for him. And I thought Dakota McWhorter and Mary Shaw were just really fantastic in that show. Dakota was, was pretty impressive considering he had most of the singing and the show is almost a, a monologue for him. And Mary Shaw, she was so good in that. 
you know, she didn't have very many lines, but there were so many times where, you know, she had to convey so much in just how she looked at Hedvig and just her body language. I mean, I really enjoyed that show. And I have to admit, I'm a big fan of Mary's anyway. Um, she's one of those people that if you're a fan of of theater here in Columbia, I mean, you can really see um, the development of some talent and skill over the years. And I also know how hard she works on her own, on her skills. And I just thought they both did a tremendous job. So I would say that that was probably the musical I enjoyed the most. I mean, I I liked the music in Plan 9, and I thought Winter Wonderettes was charming, but uh, Hedvig was, would probably be my choice. I think that's a solid choice. Monica? I agree. I love it when an actor loses himself in a role. And I think both Mary and Dakota did that beautifully in Hedwig. So I agree with that 100%. I will say, though, I would broaden just a little bit. And I had taken uh, Young Frankenstein at CCP. They did a wonderful job with that. And I even didn't sing along with it. That's how invested I was in their performances. I didn't think I could improve on them by singing along. So that's a statement it's right there. Well, I think you deserve an arty for showing some self-discipline, Monica. So good for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I would also recognize, uh, I didn't get to see all of the high school musicals this fall, but I did get to see SpongeBob the Musical every single performance. <laughs> um, and I will say they were amazing. These kids were phenomenal. And of course, uh, Squidward was pretty adorable and cute um, <laughs> just because he lived in my body for 10 months or so. I don't know. It felt like a year. I know. But <laughs> my son Gabe played Squidward and it was it was his first high school musical and it was really, really good. I, you know, I've said for many years that some of the best theater that's happening locally is happening on high school stages, and I'll stand by that. There's some really great talent, and these are the, the kids that will end up going on and doing some really cool things. I mean, uh, Leslie Walker, who uh, is a graduate of Rockbridge High School, she'll be making her Broadway debut this spring wow. in Funny Girl. So, wow. you know, this is happening. These, This is real. Like, you can you can go and see for $7 today <laughs> one of these people that it will cost you $300 someday to go and see on Broadway. So take in some high school theater. You might be surprised. That is a great suggestion, and, and that I was remiss in not including high school performances in my listing there, and CCP, who do amazing work all year round too. So yes, we should spread out. I never leave Columbia, so I, I don't think about anything further here, but I should. So thank you. We should include that. So moving on, what about best play? David, where would you go for best play? Well, you know, I, I saw a lot of a lot of good stuff this year. Um, you know, the, the ones in particular that that stand out were the production of Henry V out at Maplewood Barn. Um, I thought, you know, anytime Dana Bucky is involved doing a project with Shakespeare, you know, it's always going to be worth seeing, you know, and she directed that particular show and, and edited it down to a cool um, 90 minutes, which was pretty remarkable <laughs> too. But there was also Satchmo at the Waldorf at CEC back in February. And uh, the, show Aaron Krowitz did at Talking Horse, uh, Golgotha, where he played the Auschwitz survivor, and they had the live violin music between scenes, which I thought was really effective. But I, I would think that the one that really stayed with me was Satchmo at the Waldorf. I remember when you interviewed 
Richard on Speaking of the Arts. Richard Harris. About the time that was getting ready to, to roll out. And you could tell that the material was something that Richard just really loves and had really worked on. And I mean, it just showed in his performance because, you know, it's a, it's a one man show and he played uh, Louis Armstrong. He played Joe Glazer, Louis Armstrong's manager who pretty much took advantage of, of Louis and Miles Davis. And the way Richard was able to kind of embody those three distinct characters and make them so different from each other. I, again, it was just a terribly impressive show. And, and, and that was the one, that's the one I, I think over the course of the year, I ended up thinking about the most. I agree. That was really phenomenal. Monica, what about you? Agree uh, again with Satchmo. That was uh, the last production that I saw with my mom. So that will always have a special place in my heart. I was supposed to see it live at CEC because they did offer, I think that may have been their first time opening their doors. It was, they, it was it was in actually in February, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, and with limited seating. So yeah, it was in person. Yeah. And so, and, but they also offered it as a streaming option is, is how I ended up watching it with my mom. So that was pretty cool. Um, and it was, it was just a, a really great piece. Um, you know, that makes you think, I love shows that make you think afterwards and you carry them with you and they just stick around for a couple of days. I had that experience with scene one's production of The Cake. This was the story about the woman who refused to make a wedding cake for two women who are getting married. Um, and this was one of those really great pieces where it takes somebody that you've already decided, you've made up your mind, like, this is a horrible person. Like, this is not someone I would ever want to have coffee with. And then tell their story from their perspective and then make you think, oh, well, now I kind of understand why they are this way or what happened here. You know, just doing this empathy thing that a lot of us have forgotten how to do and, and, and to walk in someone else's shoes and to understand that there is a middle ground. There's not just polar opposites. So that was a really great show, beautifully directed by my friend Mary Jane, uh, Mary Jo LaCourt. And so that was gorgeous. Um, there was also Arsenic and Old Lace. I have to, I have to plug David because he won't <laughs> plug himself, but Ar- Arsenic and Old Lace. So I'm sitting next to my 14, then 14 year old son and he is laughing hysterically at the show that was written what was in 1940 well it was it was um 1939 was when it premiered on broadway yeah so i mean this old comedy but it's so relevant and when it's acted well which it was acted so well by the cast i mean david and nell and nora nell cunningham and nora dietzel just some of the all-stars of columbia theater here on stage bringing these characters to life and really still showing that this is a great story. It's still relevant. It still still makes people just like guffaw and all generations too. So I think also Arsenic and Ole should get an award for best onstage puttering without missing a line because (laughs) Nell and Nora were moving so many little bits and pieces, some plates here and some glassware and setting tables and tablecloths and moving things back and forth. And I thought, how are you doing all of this and still (laughs) acting? I'll tell you, um, from rehearsals, both of them worked really hard on that. (laughs) There were times where they were like, you know, where they would even just say out loud, okay, well, what is it I need to do next? And where do I need to be doing? And it's like, and it's, it's, it's one of those things that a director can't really tell you, well, go move this, then go move this and go do this. You kind of have to look at the set and discover for yourself 
what needs to be moved and where and what it is you need to be doing. And so I'm, I'm really glad you noticed that, Diana, <laughs> because they both worked really, really hard on that. But, you know, it's that stage business that brings it to life. You know, it's that stage business that, you know, makes you feel like you're, you're eavesdropping on someone's actual life, that it's, it's real, you know, because they're not acting. They've put themselves completely into these characters that, you know, they need to move those things around. There's a reason for them to move those things around. So just brilliant actresses, both of those ladies. And I got to mention, Monica, you know, you talked about the cast for that show. In early July, that, to be honest, that show wasn't even really on my radar. But then I started hearing through the grapevine, the people that were going to audition for it. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, well, I got to get in on this. <laughs> you know, I mean, some of my absolute favorite actors and people in Columbia were I knew were auditioning. So um, that's really how it, why it grabbed my attention to audition for it. It was really a stellar cast. I want to give a shout out to, even though technically it's not really community theatre because it is professional theatre, but I thought Elizabeth Brown Palmieri in Grounded mm. was phenomenal, particularly as I'd have to give her an extra award for best comeback from a major interruption because the night that I watched it, a huge oh. storm rolled in and we were all sitting outside. And so they had said at the beginning, if there is lightning, if the storm comes, we will have to stop the production, move everybody inside this kind of big warehouse and then carry on well it's a it's an incredibly intense emotional piece that builds and builds and builds and she was two-thirds of the way up the mountain when suddenly david wilson stood in front of the stage and said i'm sorry we're going to have to cut here and move everybody inside so then there's a half hour gap while we all move inside they move all the lighting and the screens and everything and the chairs and we all move inside and elizabeth steps back onto the stage and she goes right back into the emotion where she left it. And that must have been so incredibly difficult. I mean, you are both actors, so you know how difficult that is, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had a, a show out at the barn that was interrupted by the storm. And it was a courtroom drama. And I was in the middle of cross-examining a witness. And, you know, we had to stop the show for about 45 minutes. And it, I mean, it was a Herculean task to get my head back to where it needed to be in that, in that scene. And, you know, grounded is one of those shows too, where the character in the show, the, their emotional journey is just kind of this freight train that just keeps rolling faster and faster and faster. I, I can't even imagine having to pause that and then come back at it at the velocity that you left it at. I mean, that, that just sounds incredible. I was there the same night, Diana, and um, I remember walking past Liz because she was like manning the door as people were going in. And I remember walking past her and just like absorbing this intensity of energy that she was like bottling. Like it was just like, but she was so calm on the outside. It was just like she had this like half smile and just was like, you know, I don't know if she was cursing on the inside or just like <laughs> keeping it where, but, and then she just kind of separated. I, I don't know if she went into a closet by herself or whatever, but she did whatever she had to do to stay right there in that place that she got to. And when she came out, she didn't, you know, make eye contact with anybody. She just went straight out and she went to this place and you could see, just see it, it was like the mm. switch and she was there again. So, I mean, I don't know because I'm not that talented. I don't have that level of skill, um, but she has something <laughs> magical that, you know, she just turns it on and off you know, and, and, and she just went to a place, you know, and, and you could see it. And, and it's just like instantly the audience was with her too. Like that was 
the unspoken communication. It was just like, okay, here we are. We're back. It was like turning the lights back on and and we were all there together. It was amazing. It was. So, so moving on, best leading actor. I, I feel like we've probably already identified a couple of those in Richard Harris for Satchmo at the Waldorf mm-hmm. and Dakota McWhorter for Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Anybody else that we want to add in for their best leading actor contenders? Well, I mean, Aaron Krowitz, of course, was good in Golgotha, mm-hmm. um, which was also a one-person show. And Adam Britsky was good as Henry in Henry V, I thought. But that whole cast was really good, though, too. And Monica, within the world of high school, have you, have you got any leading actors that you'd like us to watch for the future? I mean, there's this young freshman at Hickman High School that I mentioned <laughs> earlier. But, you know. Gabe Palmer. <laughs> Um, no, they're, they're, you know, I don't, I, the, the women were far outperforming the men, in my opinion, this, this season. Um, and I don't know why that is, but I just, I, I don't have any, like, other than Dakota and Richard, like, I, I just think, and you guys have already said those, so I don't have anyone new to add. Okay. Best leading actress. Who would, who would we put in there? David? And that's too hard. I can't answer. That. <laughs> oh gosh, that, I, you know it's like no. I'm looking at my notes and I'm like going, um, geez. You know, I think I, I think I just have to go back to Mary Shaw in Hedvig. I mean, which is I know it, it, it's strange because to be honest, she didn't have that many lines, but she was on stage for the whole mm. show and she had to react to everything that Dakota was doing on stage and she did it masterfully. I mean, of course I have a soft spot for Nell and Nora playing my aunts in Arsenic and Old Lace, but I can't be objective about them. I mean, they were both just hysterical and adorable. I put them down for best supporting actresses in, in that category. And again, I'd, I'd obviously have to put kind of Elizabeth down as best leading actress. They, I also really loved, I, again, and this is Greenhouse, so I'm not sure if it's technically community theatre, professional theatre, Rachel Ives, who played Hilma in a short play, one of the living room one acts or urban one acts, uh, and she played Hilma of Clint. And I thought she was really phenomenal in that. And then did either of you see A Small Town Christmas at Stevens? No, I did not. Well, she was one of the leads in that too. And a girl called Alison Belson, who was also really a joy to behold on the stage. So I would definitely put those down. Uh, What about, again, within the high school? You mentioned that one person, Monica. Uh, Leslie Walker, and she was a Rockbridge graduate. And I want to do over. I do have I do have a best actor suggestion. Okay. And I didn't think of it because I was in the show. So it wasn't on my list of shows that I saw because I was in it. But Lake Shakes, Ian uh, Sobel. Yes. And he is brilliant. I mean, he could be anything anytime. <laughs> I just I love watching him work. His process is just really cool uh, because he just becomes a character and he commits so wholeheartedly to it. And he played Juliet in a, uh, a gender swapped or a gender, I, I don't know, gender fluid Romeo and Juliet version um, in Lake Shakes. And it was done in the water. And it was just so pure and sensual and just uh, it just uh, it was just so great and I, I i it's a shame that so few people got to see this production because it was a very intimate space and and we didn't have many tickets for sale so not many people got to see this brilliant work but 
I, I never want to see Romeo and Juliet done any other way <laughs> because they were just so, so good. Yeah. Yes. Ian Sobel is a master of, of acting on the local stage. I always mm. love seeing him in whatever he's in. Yeah. What about um, things like best costuming? So a little bit more behind mm. the scenes. Were, I mean, Arsenic and Old Lace was, well, the costumes were a bit mixed, weren't they? It was a bit of a mixture of a little more contemporary, a little more traditional 1940s. What do you think for best costume, David? Well, I can't be objective about the costumes for Arsenic and Old Lace because my wife did the costuming <laughs> for that show. Um, I mean, Hedwig was wonderful. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, the the several outfits that Dakota wore during that show were were pretty spectacular. And, you know, the Barnes production of mm. Henry V, since they placed mm -hmm. it during the Civil War, that was some good costuming too. You know, it was um it it was period appropriate. They all looked like they were fighting a civil <laughs> civil war. But so yeah, the, the costuming for that show, I mean, it was it was very understated, but I thought it was effective. Right. Monica? Yeah, and I would say for Hedwig, I, the costume that struck me the most was the one that Mary Shaw wore for like 20 seconds of the production oh, yeah. which comes out at the end. So that was the one that blew me away. But really, the best costumes I saw this year were on, again, school stages. SpongeBob the Musical, they did some really fun, creative things like giving my son an extra couple of legs uh, to play a squid. And Moana Jr., um, I had the behind-the-scenes experience of watching Lauren Dotson making the wig for, oh gosh, what is it? Tefiti, what the green goddess that, you know, anyway, she was making a wig out of yarn and, and it looked amazing on stage. It looked so cool. And she had this gorgeous green gown that went with it and teaching kids, you know, all of the skills of putting on a show includes how do we do costuming and how do we do all of these things? And, and it really, adds to the creativity, I think, when you have to also do it on a shoestring budget and make everything. <laughs> so, and not everything can be purchased off of Amazon. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> and I guess probably when we think about best scenic design, I mean, they, again, it feels wrong to compare community theatre with something like Mizzou, where there is mm. more money to spend. You've got Rent, which was a fantastic stage set. And at Stevens College, A Small Town Christmas was fabulous. So it almost feels like, you know, are they are they apples and apples or should we be putting them in a, in a different category? But what for you, Monica, what was your favorite stage set? Oh, my, well, my favorite stage set, it was professional theater. It was out at the Lyceum. They did Murder on the Orient Express and the train actually moved. You could actually like you were you were watching the train <laughs> move to different compartments and seeing a different scene take. I mean, it was it was amazing. But again, they have a little bit more money, just a little bit, though, because, you know, they've had to tighten their their belts as well during COVID. But they still make things so beautifully out there. I've never seen a bad set out no. at the Lyceum. So they did some really magical things with the set there. But, yeah, I think um, Arsenic and Old Lace had a gorgeous set. I mean, it looked like a place I'd like to move into, I think. Uh, you know, the the stenciling on the set, everything it was just like the detail. It was beautiful. Yeah, that was lovely. Uh, David, again, you, you can't really choose that one because you were biased because you were in it. But <laughs> aside from Arsenic... <laughs> I can tell you, though, that uh, our master carpenter, Chris Bowling, and our director, Ed Elsia, had a lot to do 
with how fantastic that set looked. I mean, everybody in the cast contributed, of course, but it was really the two of them that made it come out. I mean, it was a better set than I even expected for that show. Um, but I also saw Murder on the Orient Express out at Air Rock Lyceum, and Monica's exactly right. That set was amazing, the way they would use the train cars and that the, the way that when they would go from the passenger compartments to the club car, the train would move on the stage. It would like slide and it just gave the illusion of the train moving as they were moving from one car to the next. That was really impressive. Well, and singing in the rain, they made it rain. I, that that on was stage. what I was going to say. Next. Singing in the rain was fantastic too. <laughs> Blew my mind. They do the big, you know, Gene Kelly singing in the rain number at the end of Act One, and of course, it has to be at the end of Act One because they need intermission to mop up all the rain that's on the stage. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I don't know how they how they drained all that water that they were pouring on the stage <laughs> during during that uh, number, but that was a really impressive show too. I was so torn through the whole number because I was torn between being thoroughly entertained and invested in the scene and also my brain thinking, stop it, you're going to ruin the set. <laughs> it, was, it was such a conflict happening in my brain while I was watching that. But yeah, they just they did some amazing things out there. And they, they're doing it still. I mean, A Christmas Carol right now, they, they make magic happen on the 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 set with, you know, the ghosts appearing and disappearing and all of that stuff. But they have some some geniuses out there working at the Lyceum. So and we're so lucky to have that in our backyard. I mean, a professional theater that's a hop, skip and a jump from Columbia. So, yeah. And I think their Christmas Carol production last year when they were doing it all, well, there was nobody there. It was all digital. That was absolutely right. phenomenal. The amount of work that Quinn Gresham had put into making this remote performance happen with all of the actors all in their individual houses doing their lines and him saying, make sure that you look to the left when you say this line and look to the right when you say this bit because he knew where everyone else was going to be and then at one point when they had a ghostly apparition that just floated down as you're looking out on an empty Lyceum theater you suddenly realize that there's a ghost above the seats moving towards the stage that was chilling and fantastic I just got chills. I literally just got chills when you were just talking about it. So yeah, that was, it was magic. It was really magic. <laughs> Quinn's brain is like Elizabeth's brain too. You know, it works differently than the rest of ours. Like there's just something, yeah, there's something extra there. Well, I think we should have a little musical interlude here so I can stoke the fire a little. Oh, oh careful and we can all get a refill because i'm down to the chocolatey sludge at the bottom of my cap and as it is christmas eve eve what could be more perfect than a little trip down to the 1968 harper's hardware store holiday happening courtesy of the winter wanderettes so get up and uh, stretch a little monica and david and okay, after a well, little we'll snowfall from the original cast album we will carry on
was The Winter Wanderettes and Snowfall from the original cast album. So overall, just like most fantastic theatre moment of the year. David, what's your like choirs of angels singing moment of theatre this year? Well, Monica mentioned one, which was at the end of Hedwig and the Angry Inch when Mary's character has made this really stunning transformation and then just comes out and just totally brings down the house with her song. That was um, a heart-stopping moment <laughs> for, for me. And the silver boots, I should say, too. Her fabulous... Oh, gosh, the whole thing. Everything, yeah. And Mary, I think, made that, didn't she? I mean, Mary gets the credit for costume design on that, too, doesn't she? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, I would be confident saying that, you know, Mary makes a lot of her own costumes, so that would not surprise yeah. me at all. Um, just to put in a couple of, of quick plugs for this, I really enjoyed a couple of the plays, um, the short plays at Starting Gate this year. One written by Mark Baumgartner, The Grace of Harold. You know, for a little 10-minute play, I, I, I mean, it was funny, and it, I thought it was really uh, affecting. And a play that Monica wrote, actually, uh, Natasha's Heart. I mean, I it was nice to see that one get developed, but um, that was another one that just kind of stayed with me for a couple of days. I mean, they're both kind of quiet plays. But anyway, those were like a couple of really standout moments for, for me this year. Monica, Choirs of Angels singing moment? <laughs> Choirs of Angels. Well, I mentioned it earlier. It was in uh, Springfield, Missouri, the kinky boots that they did. It was it was phenomenal. And, and it reminded me of all the things. Like it was just one of those visceral moments where you're in the theater and you're in your body but you're also floating out of your body and it's like oh yeah this is theater this is this is the thing that i was missing because it wasn't just what was happening on the stage it was the relationship and it's the it is the thing that is created when we're in a space in the dark and we're having a conversation between all of the people in the seats and all of the people on the stage and there's this flow of energy and it's we're here 
We're telling the story. We're invested. We're caring about other people. We're caring about other people's stories. We're learning. We're listening. And we're feeling. And we're all going on this journey together. And it was just like choirs of angels is a great way to describe that <laughs> because I had, you know, chills on my chills. And it was just, it was a really beautiful moment. And also I got, um, I took a backstage tour before the show and I got to see the actors warming up and I got to see actors in their theater circle and just vicariously picked up on all that <laughs> love and energy. And I was like, yes, yes, I missed that. I want all of that back in my life because you could see that they were just such a, a family and they loved each other and they loved what they were doing and they wanted to give that to their community. And so the best of community theater, I think, is is all about that. So that was probably the best theater experience I had this year in this weird year. Right. And and not as weird as last year. So last year, when everything was remote, everything was digitally stitched together and online. Did that, Monica, did that scratch your itch enough? Or were you just super itchy by the end of the year? I mean, it didn't. It, it didn't. It, I mean, it, it's not it's not theater unless that thing is happening you know it's it's i saw a lot of people do some brilliant things and do some wonderful acting but for me theater is about that bigger experience it's about that bigger conversation flow of energy whatever you want to call it it's it's that it's that communal thing and it's not a communal thing when there's a screen in between you and the person watching or the person performing it's just not. And and for me, and this is, you know, my personal opinion, but digital theater will never, ever replace the live experience of theater. There's just, there's no comparison. So it, it was a hard year. <laughs> 2020 was a very hard year in my life, in my world. Yeah. David, would would you, how do I word this? Do, do you like, <laughs> would you rather be on the stage or would you rather be sitting in the audience watching a show? Ooh. That's a tough. That's a tough question. <laughs> yeah, it's tough to formulate. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I honestly, I think it's a close call, but um, I think I prefer to be on the stage. Going back to what Monica was saying, you know, I did a fair amount of online performances the last year and a half, and and I enjoyed them. And there was actually some of them that I was surprised I got as much out of them as I did. But when we got back into the theater when we got back into CEC and being on CEC stage and rehearsing um, arsenic and old lace. There's these moments on stage where I'm like, well, there's Nora and I'm interacting with Nora, you know, and there's <laughs> Nell and I'm interacting with Nell and there's Mark. I mean, it's, you kind of forget how much you really rely on being on stage with another person and being able to look them in the eye and you you take what they feed you and you try to give them something back there's something really kind of magical about doing that in person that you just really can't capture with a, a video presentation Right. I do not have the guts to get on a stage like the two of you do. So I'm always very, uh, I admire you a lot. And I'm, I'm envious that you're able to do it and that you have this, because I can see it from the audience whenever I go to a show in Columbia, whether it's a Talking Horse or Maplewood Barn or CEC, I see 
this family that I'm peripherally part of because I go to see shows and I know everybody, but there is just this lovely sense of family amongst the theatre performance companies in Colombia and between all of the people. And so it's just it's just really beautiful to see from the outside. I'm guessing it is even lovelier to be inside and be part of that, David. I am a fan of community theater. I, I just am. And after you've like have worked with somebody on a show and then you go see them in another show and you know how hard they work um, on it, you appreciate it more what you see on the stage because you know how hard people have worked on things. And I enjoy watching my friends perform. It, I get a real charge out of it. Again, just because I know how hard they work at it. And Monica, you've really had to take a bit of a back step this year because you've started teaching and you're doing night school for your certification. So I mean, you just don't have the time to be on the stage. How are you feeling that emotionally? It's okay. You know, I've, I've got a lot really feeding my soul right now. So it's good. But you know, when I started off the school year, I was I was in a production with Greenhouse Theatre Production. I was in Lake Shakes. And one of the first things I did with all of my classes was building ensemble. You know, you have to build that trust with a class before you ask them to get up in front of the class and start doing improv scenes or doing any kind of acting work. They need to know each other and they need to trust each other. And I remember one of my very first, uh, I think it was like my first or second week of teaching, I showed them a picture of the group that was doing Lake Shakes out at uh, Greenhouse Theater. And we were you know, all smiling. It was one of my famous selfies, you know, of <laughs> the whole group. And I showed them this and I told them, I can do things because these people are in my ensemble that I wouldn't do. I wouldn't trust myself to do if it were just me. But being a part of an ensemble can give you the courage and it can give you the strength to do things like jump off a dock and swim to the shore, you know, and do Shakespeare in a bathing suit, you know, things like that, that I would never do <laughs> unless I was in a team of people that I trust and love and feel connected to. And that's, you know, how I explained ensemble to them. And I think maybe a seed was planted. I don't know if they, they got it completely, but I think at the end of the semester, now I'm, I'm looking back to that and, and these kids that I've had some of them for, 18 weeks now, I think. And I can see it like when they play their zip zap zop energy game or when they play things, they they are connected and they did learn to trust each other and they did understand by the end of the semester what it means to build something together, that collaborative creation that is theater that I love so much. So so I'm being fed just fine <laughs> in my current profession. Uh, I think I'm finally where I, I was always kind of meant to be. So yeah. <laughs> and David, if you're thinking about your local theatre bucket list in terms of being directed by a particular person or acting opposite somebody in a leading role, like who who is on your list of people that you you haven't yet worked with closely that you would really like to work with? Oh gosh, that's a that's a fantastic question because before this year it would have been Nora Dietzel and I finally <laughs> managed to check that one off this year. Um, now you got to get a new one. I know I got to get a new one, and I can't think of I can't. Uh, um, well, you know what I I, I will, I'll say this I I have been in a show with Mary Shaw, 
but we were never on stage at the same time. So I think she may be the next person up because she is, again, one of the actresses in town that I really admire. And I regret the fact that the one show we were both in, we were just never on stage at the same time. So it, it's probably her, I would say, at this point. Well, you have had a lot of stage wives, haven't you, over, over your career? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've, been, I, I've, been, I've been married to Monica. <laughs> so, <laughs> you don't have to sound so upset about it. Sheesh. <laughs> have some more rum, Monica. Some people consider it an honor, right, Russ? <laughs> <laughs> And Monica, who would you, who's on your bucket list of people you'd like to um, have as your stage husband or just play opposite? Hmm. That's a great question. I don't know. I, I think I've... You've done a lot. Yeah, I've I've worked with like some of the best. So, it, you know, trying to think of any anyone uh, that I haven't worked with that I would really... I, I think Amanda, I'm, I would love to, I mean, I got to be in a little starting gate scene with her or our 10 minute play last year. Amanda? Um. Help me with last name. I'm horrible with last names, David. Amanda Atkins? Yes. I've been married to her, too, by the way. I... <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to do a show with her, like a full show, because she's just a great, great actress to, to work opposite of. And she was really fun in Plan 9, wasn't she? We oh, yeah, her she in was that. fun in Plan Yes. Oh, my gosh. Plan 9, the musical from Outer Space. Pretty much just kept watching her the whole time. She was so funny. <laughs> I do love watching shows with you, Monica, because particularly comedies, because you're so good at doing the stage mom laughing because, you know, you forget <laughs> when you, if you haven't been on the stage and or you haven't hung out with an actor, then you think things are funny and you smile quietly to yourself and you chuckle inside your head. But then you realize that the actors need to hear the fact that they're funny and they need you to respond yeah. loudly. And so I've had to learn and, and it's a little bit uncomfortable in the beginning to laugh loudly and it's really helpful if the person that you are watching the show with understands that too so you can do really loud stage mom laughing yeah my kids are not fans so it's funny they call it <laughs> stage mom because my kids are not fans especially when they're on the stage I, I was told earlier this year that that's not appreciated um but i don't care so um yeah no um i've been told though by professional actors who have seen me like in the first couple of rows that i give great face and i didn't know what that meant but they just said that like i wish all audience members were like you because you're just so invested and you're being vocally like the energy that you're giving as an audience member is so great and that's what i was talking about earlier is that communication and, and i tell my kids that in school too i say you know one of the most important roles at the theater is the audience you're playing a role it's not a video or a movie screen that doesn't know you're watching these are real humans and they need to know that you're there with them so whether that's just smiling or being invested and actually paying attention or laughing out loud, whatever. That's that's part of it. You know, live theater needs that. We went to see a show up in Macon, isn't it, where they have the Maples Repertory Theater. Yeah. And we mm -hmm. saw a thriller. And <laughs> I really, really get into thrillers. Yeah. <laughs> I think I give good audience at a thriller. <laughs> I think you I think you may have like um wounded me like my arm may have been bleeding the next day i think so 
Uh, and I think that was Sedalia. I think it was the Wait Until Dark. Was that the one you were talking about? No, it was definitely we had the uh, the almost a girls' weekend mm-hmm. with with a boy up in up in Maple's <laughs> Repertory Theatre. And yes, we did also go and see the one in Sedalia. That was that was really tense too. I I love getting into that the tenseness of a oh death trap. You're thinking death of death trap. trap. Yes. Yeah, that that's great. a great show. David and I were actually in a production of Death Trap at Talking Horse. Yeah, yeah. David tried to kill me. Yes, I did. And <laughs> cussed me I, out. I, I, I remember no, the first <laughs> night in rehearsals when Christopher told me, he says, go ahead and let it rip. And I startled you so much, you actually slipped and fell on stage. <laughs> You're just one of the nicest humans I've ever met in my entire life. And so to have you like just opening up such vitriol in my direction, I was just like, it just like knocked me out. So it was was fantastic. Before we close, looking forward, what are, David, what are you most excited about that's coming up next year? And what are you planning on being in? Oh, well, I don't I I don't have any plans to be in anything yet. Um, We'll just have to see how the year goes. but. Two shows that I'm really looking forward to were shows that ended up going on hiatus because of COVID. And, you know, they were both pretty close to opening. One is uh, Fun Home at Talking Horse, which goes up in April. I think that they were like 10 days away from opening in 2020 before everything shut down. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. And August Osage County at Columbia Entertainment Company, their opening was a little bit further away, but, you know, the show had been cast. They had been in rehearsals for a while. I think their set was almost completed um, before everything went on hold. And so I'm those are two things I'm really looking forward to. And one show I'm really looking forward to out at the barn is uh, She Kills Monsters. Because that's that show's going to be directed by Chris Bowling, and Chris always does a great job directing shows. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. And Monica, I know you have a directing gig coming up this year. Murder Ballad. Murder Ballad. Yeah, Murder Ballad in October of 2022 at Talking Horse is uh, going to be my baby, and I've promised that it's going to be the sexiest show that Talking Horse has ever staged. So I got to li- live up to that. So okay. can I buy my tickets now? Then can I do that? <laughs> Uh, it's a really, it's a really great story. It, it's a, a rock opera, sort of along the lines of like a Rent or, or that kind of thing. And so everything is sung, but it's a really intense story about Sarah, this gal named Sarah. Who, um, well, I won't give you the plot. Just come and see it. It's going to be amazing. I'm directing it. <laughs> um, and then I'm also really looking forward to Fences in February at CEC. Uh, Richard Harris is directing this one, and I think this is going to be something special. I just have a feeling about that. And Maplewood Barnes' importance of being earnest. Mm. Those of you who got to see the uh, Broadway Fools thing at Talking Horse got to see Diana and Alex George do a snippet of this, so you know how much I love this show. A handbag? And <laughs> a handbag? <laughs> I really would love it if Diana and Alex would reprise their roles <laughs> and go out to the barn and be in the full version of the show. That would be fantastic. But we'd have to get Alex's daughter to do his makeup and hair and all that. So, um, But that's coming up in July of 2022. I'm really looking forward to at least seeing that. I don't know. You know, Lady Bracknell is definitely a bucket list role for me. So we'll see if Ooh, my I'd life love is. To see you as oh, crazy. she's such a great character. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be a highlight of the year if you were playing Lady Bracknell. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Well, we are out of time. So if you have finished your um, your hot chocolates, I'm going to have to throw what? you out. <laughs> 
I was going to sleep here tonight. <laughs> Could I get a to-go cup? I've got, I've got other people coming. <laughs> But it has been such a lovely hour chatting to both of you about local theatre and the Speaking of the Arties Awards. I think I think we've covered a lot of ground and and uh, recognised a lot of fantastic local performers and designers and stage sets and just people who go beyond every for every performance, every production, even when they're not on the stage. Just the amount of people that are working behind the scenes too is always so impressive. So thank you both so much for all that you do and have done and continue to do and will do next year for the local theatre scene. And I can't (laughs) wait to see you again in person very soon. And thank you for being uh, local theatre's supporter and and fan, number one fan. So we we really appreciate that you keep us all entertained and (laughs) informed. So thank you for what you do. Yes. Thank you, Diana. You are welcome. All right. Well, I'll I'll see you soon. Go out and be careful out there in the snow. It's a a little bit slippery. I think there are, I think I hear Santa. There are definitely some, uh, some handbells and some sleigh bells ringing. Do you you hear that? (laughs) I've been very good most of the time. Bye. (laughs) Bye -bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that is it for another week. There are just eight days of giving left this year. And on each of those days, on this radio frequency, you will hear radio made by your community and about your community. So please go to kopn.org and add your tuppence halfpenny to show your support. I'll be back next week with Alex George of Skylock Bookshop and Barbie Banks from Ragtag Film Society for another look back over the past 12 months in the literary and film arts. Until then, stay arty, Missouri! Missouri!